Death's Head will seek you out. Do you know when? No. And if I did, I would not stop it. I understand, Monitor. I wish you well. I took an oath. And when the time comes, I'll meet the Death's Head and beat it back. That spirit is why I chose you for this mission, Mordred. But courage alone won't be enough. Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles podcast. I am half of your host, Perry Constantine. And as always, I am the other half, Derek Ferguson. How are you doing today, Derek? I'm doing quite well, thank you for asking. And how are you doing? I'm doing I'm doing all right, but um, I'm a little, uh, I got a little bit of a bone to pick with you because a few episodes ago, you talked about, you know, what's going to happen next in 2020. And now things have seen, we got like two possible starts to World War III brewing with oh India my. and China and then North Korea and South Korea. And then, um, and then to top it all off, you got, um, <laughs> So on Twitter, you've been following the Ron Perlman thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Isn't that so? <laughs> oh, my God. So Ron Perlman, who, of course, is all right-thinking people know, is a national treasure. Yes. Um, he, he likes, he's a, he's a very progressive guy in real life, and he likes to mock the, 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 the Republicans on Twitter. So he was mocking Matt Gates, who's um, a Republican congressman, uh, best known for trying to storm a classified meeting um, during the impeachment hearings and also for mocking the COVID-19 by wearing a gas mask in Congress right before he contracted COVID-19. <laughs> and talk um, about, Yeah, talk about irony, right? And also apparently um, potentially being involved in the death of his roommate and multiple DUIs, which his rich daddy may disappear. Um, so he's known for all those things. So, you know, classy guy. <laughs> and... Um, so Ron Perlman is mocking him on Twitter. And um, and then Ted Cruz jumps in, another, you know, who everyone suspects of possibly being the Zodiac Killer and is known for such stalwart acts of manliness as um, sucking up to Trump after Trump insulted his wife and his wife and mother and father. And you know something? That is something, you know what? There's some things that you have to be a man about. I don't mm -hmm. care what. You know, that's just how I was raised. You don't let anybody talk about your wife or your father or your mother in that way and not walk up to them and punch them dead in their eye. Right. And the way he turned around and kissed Trump's ass, mm -hmm. you know, I have no respect for him. At, well, I didn't have no respect for him before, but at least I could, I could respect him as a man. But no. I could not even matter of fact, I don't even know how his wife lives with him after that. Well, you know what? Apparently, um, not too long after she was mad that they couldn't afford a second house. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, you know what? She wanted the second house so she could live in it by himself. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> I would hope so. I would hope so. Because you know what? No woman I know would want to be with a man that spineless. Yeah, yeah. And then this whole thing is that, you know, he's not even talking about him wrestling. Ron Perlman. He's no. going to throw him at somebody else. Exactly. He says, okay, yeah, you're such a man. Well, okay, tough guy. Let's see. I challenge you to fight that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not, 
not even climb in the ring with me. Uh, no, no, no. When you're such a tough guy, you go fight that guy. And it's uh, and it, the guy he picks is Jim Jordan, who of course is also known for you know looking the other way on sexual abuse. So yeah, yeah, that so guy. Just like I mean, you could not pick like a bigger bunch of you know assholes to go up against Ron Perlman. Here. Ron Perlman. Yeah, <laughs> but exactly. But then it gets better because none other than another another national treasure a guy we all we both love who we talked about a lot last week dave bautista drax himself oh. throws his hat in the ring and he says all right ted cruz i'll wrestle him yeah. <laughs> and meanwhile jim jordan's being quiet about this whole thing you know oh, he he just, a, he, he's sitting back there and he's just like shut up ted shut up jim, ted jim jordan hadn't said shit which <laughs> which says something to me because this is a guy normally if there's a camera anywhere around mm -hmm. or a microphone He's gonna get on it. Yeah, <laughs> he hadn't said it. Nah, Jim Jordan don't. He don't want no parts of this. Yeah, yeah. He, he does not want no parts of. It. Oh man, yeah. But you know what? I'm not saying nothing else. I'm not making no more predictions about this year, man. <laughs> you know, my wife had told me. She said, "Just shut up." You know? <laughs> don't say it because. Okay, I'm gonna just say this. This. Reminds me of some movies I've seen. It does, you know. It sounds mm -hmm. cliche to say that 2020 is like a movie, but yet there are some movies I've seen that just keep on getting more <laughs> batshit insane. Mm -hmm. And and that's what this year is. Yeah. Just oh, when yeah. I think it can't get crazier, yes, it does. It gets yeah. crazier. It, it's insane. And yeah. um, I I don't even. Oh, and uh, John Bolton's book came out, and now they're both threatening. Both Bolton and Trump are threatening to sue each other. And um, in, uh, also then in comic book, taking this back to superheroes, Cameron Stewart got accused of, who did, uh, he did this award-winning run on Batgirl a few years ago. He got us accused of um, uh, like sexual um, assault, a kind of sexual assault where he was like grooming 16-year-old girls to date. And then... While everyone's talking about that, it comes out that Warren Ellis used to do something similar back in the day, too, which is extremely disheartening for me because Warren Ellis was a huge influence on my writing, so. Yeah, and, and as a matter of fact, I heard, you know, okay, I read that and I was even more doubly disappointed because I had just watched this documentary on Amazon Prime mm -hmm. about Warren Ellis. And I was like, really, oh man, this guy got to, you know, reread Transmetropolitan and all this other stuff because I had forgotten how good he is, you yeah. know, while watching the documentary. And I was <clears> like, oh man, I got to get back into Warren Ellis. And, you know, which again goes back to something that, you know, I have said to people. And, you know, I kind of preferred it back when we did not know a lot about the habits of, you know, writers and actors and, mm -hmm. and it, okay. In one way is good to mm -hmm. expose, you know, uh, some of these things that they've done, but there was a certain mystique that we had that, you know, we didn't know every detail of their lives. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't know. There's just, Something disheartening about finding out that people, you know, that you really like and admire, that they got a sleazy side to them. But again, you know, people are people. You know, they're just human beings. Yeah. You know, you know, maybe 
we shouldn't put them on pedestals. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, maybe it falls on us. Maybe we should just say, okay, well, you know what? They do shit I like and, you know, that's it. And yeah. just leave it at that. Yeah. Um, well, we're going to talk about something um, more pleasant today. And that's, um, this is your pick, which uh, was an interesting little movie called uh, Dr. Mordred. Yeah, yeah. I had heard about this movie for for years. We talked about it very briefly when we were talking about the uh, Doctor Strange TV movie, mm -hmm. I believe. And like I said, I'd heard about this movie for years because apparently what it was, it started out as a Doctor Strange movie. Right. Um, Charles Band, uh, he of uh, Full Moon fame, you know, that's a... Uh, um, for those of you who don't know about Full Moon, it's it was one of these movie studios, like, um, I believe it was around, like, during the late 80s, early 90s. Right. And they made, like, a whole slew of low-budget <laughs> movies. And as a matter of fact, it, it surprised me when I watched this movie. I did not know they had made this many movies. But they made so many that Tubi has its own Full Moon channel. Oh, I didn't even see that on there. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why I went to watch it, you know, because I, because who was it? Somebody told me, oh, well, Dr. Mordred, it's, you know, it's on there. It's also on Amazon Prime, but I'm glad that I didn't have to pay the rental fee because this movie is only 74 minutes long. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for anyone who doesn't, uh, doesn't know what, what Tubi is, it's one of these, um, it's one of these free apps that you can download, and they've got a lot of, like, um, a lot of low-budget B movies, so They've got like, you know, and Full Moon, they did like the Puppet Master movies. Um, they uh, did the Trancers. Trancers. Um, they did a bunch of other like these low budget um, uh, horror films, basically. Yeah. And, and monster features. Yeah. And that's how they <clears throat> made their mark. They did like, but I had no idea how many they did until, like I said, I went to Tubi and I'm looking at it, it's just a, a whole slew of these low budget, you know, not even B horror movies, it's like mm. C, D, E, and F. <laughs> right, yeah. You know, yeah. budget horror movies that they made. But they had, you know, Dr. Modred on there. And uh, I watched, and like I said, given the short running time of this movie, because this is more like a pilot for a TV series, really, than it is. I was thinking the movie. same thing. I was thinking the same thing watching it, is it felt a lot like a pilot for a TV series. Yeah. Which yeah. is what also what the, the original Doctor Strange movie that we talked about way back when was also supposed to be. Right, absolutely. Um, so the story goes is that, um, you know, Charles Band um, and his father, Albert Band, mm -hmm. uh, who both were partners in Full Moon, they, um, you know, they'd gotten the rights to do Doctor Strange. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, or rather, they had the option but the option lapsed for one reason or another. And by then they had done so much production, pre-production work on this movie. Um, they even had early concept art by Jack Kirby, according to Wikipedia. Oh, so, okay. you know, yeah. So, you know, they said, well, you know what? We're not gonna scrap, you know, the whole project. They just sat down and they just rewrote it. So it was an original character. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Once again, I have to say, I was pleasantly surprised at the result. If I had no idea that this had any connection to Doctor Strange, I would never have guessed it because, you know, they rewrote it and they rewrote it so skillfully <clears throat> that there's really, who's the writer's name? C. Courtney Joyner. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
this guy or girl, whoever he is, he was very skillful at rewriting this so that there really is no trace of Dr. Strange left in this thing. Mm -hmm. Except for him being, of course, a sorcerer. Right, yeah. Yeah, they make him um, like kind of an immortal type figure because there's that one th part where uh, Cabal mentions like, you know, you've been around for, for, for like uh, over 100 years or something like that. Yeah, well, he makes mention uh, to his neighbor, mm -hmm. uh, Samantha Hunt, who, mm -hmm. who's a police consultant. That's what she keeps telling us. That oh well, I'm every time somebody's oh you're a police woman. Well, no, I'm a police consultant. She really, for some reason, she really makes a point of that. Mm -hmm. But uh, they meet cute in the hallway of the building, which which distinguishes him from Doctor Strange in that he's got neighbors. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting twist too. In fact, he owns this building and um, and he's got this big apartment of his own with it's like got all this mystic stuff in it. But um, but he. You know, he's also the landlord of this building, although nobody knows that he's the landlord. Yeah, yeah, because at one point, the old lady, with all the makeup on her face, she makes reference to the fact that nobody knows who owns the building and that they've never seen the landlord. Mm -hmm. But uh, he he makes mentions when she says, oh, this must have been a nice place to live a couple hundred years ago. And he said, oh, yeah, well, it was. And she yeah. says, what? You know, and the way he says it, we should mention, of course, for, right front and center, that Dr. Mordred is played by the magnificent Jeffrey Combs. Okay, so um, like I don't really like Jeffrey Combs. I only really know him from Reanimator. I believe it was. That's really all you got to know him from. Okay. okay. <laughs> I mean, he's been in some other things, but yeah, if most people know him, that's where they know him from—the Reanimator mm -hmm. movie. I think because I think there was like two or three of them, if I'm remembering right. And he's Something been in, like that, yeah. in, and he was in all of them. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. he also did the voice of the leader on. Um, the Avengers animated series, uh, Earth's Mightiest Heroes. But he also had a long run on um, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, mm -hmm. where he played like a bunch of different characters. Well, the character that he played on there was, um, he kept getting killed. But okay. since it was a race of clones and he was mm -hmm. cloned, he kept coming back. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so he kept coming back. So, oh, so like, it looks like he had two roles on uh, in the Star Trek universe. Because I see in Deep Space Nine, it was like he had a butt. He was like Wayon or Brunt was his name. Yeah, Wayun. That Wayun. was yeah. Um, but then also he had another rise run as uh, beginning with Star Trek Enterprise as Commander Shram. Well, I do believe I'm not sure about this, but I believe that Combs he he's one of two actors to have played. All of the aliens on some because he played an Endorian, mm -hmm. he played a Cardassian, he played, you know, he, he's played like a whole bunch of different roles on Star Trek. So he's had an extensive career with them. So oh, a, also, so, here's something else. He was apparently the original Captain Cold back on the old Flash TV series in 1991. Oh, okay. All right. And he was also the voice of uh, the question in um, Justice League Unlimited. Oh, and here's something else. Oh, okay. You remember on Twitter earlier today, I was asking about the 100? Right, yeah, yeah. And you said I must have got that confused with another show? Right, yeah, because you were I talking got about... I got it confused with the 4400, which oh, Jeffrey okay. is also in. Oh, okay. That makes, that, makes, that makes sense. Yeah, I was wondering, like, what are you talking about? The 100's only been on the CW, and it's like, they don't only been around as long as The Flash. Yeah, I got yeah, I I totally got it confused with. So I said, wait a minute, hasn't this show been all, 
on for like forever, but no, mm -hmm. I got it confused with the 4400, mm -hmm. which as I'm looking on the thing now, Jeffrey Combs was on. He was oh, on okay. that show too. This also has um, uh, Brian Thompson, who um, you know went on to uh, he played he, he's played the bad guy in a bunch of different geek related stuff. Like he was in the the Buffy premiere. He played like um, the Masters head vampire in that. Uh, he played Shao Kahn in the god awful Mortal Kombat Annihilation movie. Um, and he had a run on the X-Files as like the uh, alien bounty hunter. Yeah. He was in the first Terminator too, I believe. He was oh, one really? of the guys that on Schwarzenegger, he, he took their clothes. And, and, which is funny because the, the first thing I thought in this movie, and the first thing I think every time I see Brian Thompson is he looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger's stunt double. Yeah. Yeah. He, I mean, especially like in this movie, mm -hmm. when you see him, you say, oh yeah, man, this guy. Especially because he's wearing the, he's wearing like the exact same sunglasses that Schwarzenegger wears in Terminator. Yeah. And he wears his hair the same way too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But Brian Thompson is one of them guys that's like been around forever. Mm -hmm. And he's very good at playing big, big, tough looking bad guys. Right. Yeah. But here he has a level He's a little bit more articulate than I'm used to seeing him, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I was actually surprised. I, I, I don't think I'd ever heard his voice as much as I did in this. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I've seen him in other things where he has like a couple of lines. But in this one, I mean, like he actually has speeches, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, yeah. And he gets to act, which he does. Which he, I mean, you know, we're not talking about, you know, uh, the level of... I don't know the Marvel. Right. Um, this is uh, not like Mads Mikkelsen no. and uh, Benedict Cumberbatch here. No, but I mean, for this budget and this material, he does. You know, he acquits himself very well. Right. Speaking anyway. of but speaking of budget, I really wish that they did have a little bit more money for this movie because you know there's some stuff in here that's really very good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That I enjoy. Yeah, they have that. Uh, they have that uh, big battle at the end with um, with them animating the uh, the dinosaur skeletons, and yeah, and they use a kind of they use like a, a stop motion um, animation for that, which it's not bad. I mean, um, but it's it does it, it. You know, in retrospect, it it is one of those things that nowadays you can kind of see the seams. Yeah, and it's kind of anticlimactic because right. what you want to see is that you want to see. Uh, Mordred and his arch enemy because these guys have been waiting for hundreds of years to fight each other. Mm -hmm. You want to see them go at it. You right. don't want to see them animating dinosaurs and, you know, dinosaur bones and having them fight each other, you know. Mm -hmm. You want to actually see them fight. Right. You know what I was kind of getting the vibe on early on when I was watching this movie is not Doctor Strange, but Doctor Fate. Like, the, the outfit he wears, it was very much making me think of Doctor Fate and that scene where he first talks to... Um, the monitor. I don't know. For some reason, I just got like a very Dr. Fate vibe from it. And you know what? Okay. The outfit that he was wearing later on, because he's wearing like that, like, like gray kind of turtleneck and mm -hmm. those black pants and everything like that. I said, that's a better outfit than the one he was wearing earlier, the all blue one. Yeah. That thing just like did not look good at all. Yeah. Especially because this movie is, is very much grounded. Right, just like um, just like the original Doctor Strange movie, which was also very grounded. But so when they have them in these, you know, pretty stupid looking outfits, it it really pulls you out of it. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, they really don't need the outfits. They really no, because, don't. Because this isn't really a superhero movie, even though it was based on Doctor Strange. This is much more of like an urban fantasy thing. Yeah, yeah. This is, this is as you say, it, it's a great... But it's not that grounded because they have the part where the Dr. Mordred, he invites Samantha because she thinks that his apartment is on fire. So she mm -hmm. calls the police and she calls the cops and they come and he opens up the door. And, okay, well, what are you doing? Oh, I thought your apartment was on fire. Well, no, it's not on fire. And everybody goes home and he invites her in. Mm -hmm. And now see, I live in New York. So I know that the first thing any new, real New Yorker upon seeing the size of his apartment would say, would, she would ask him, who do you know to have that apartment <laughs> like this? Because because <laughs> this guy has got an apartment, like Madison Square Garden. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm wondering, I said, well, is this like kind of like the Doctor Who type of thing where the inside of the apartment is bigger than, you know? Well, you know what I was thinking is, because um, I actually saw something like this uh, here in Japan where uh, my ex-wife... Um, one of her relatives, I think it was her uncle or someone, owned this apartment building mm. and, you know, rented out most of the rooms. What he did was, like, it had, like, two sides to it, right? It was, like, one side, there were, like, three apartments on one side, three apartments on the other, stacked up uh, one above the other, right? And what he did, did was he had taken, like, the three apartments on one side and he had just taken them all for himself and he had remodeled it so it was, like, a tiny house inside oh, the apartment okay. building. Yeah. Because, I mean... She walks in and she doesn't like blink her eye, mm -hmm. you know, at, at the sides of this place. I mean, the guy's got an ancient map of the world across one, one whole wall. He's got bookcases going 10 feet up into the air. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all this arcane memorabilia that's all over the room. And, and she just walks in and it's like, oh, nice place. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. And um, see what else I want to mention here. Um, I don't know, I'm blanking on what I wanted to... <laughs> oh, you know what? I did like how... Uh, well, also, he mentions the when he's in the questioning, he he talks about the alchemy. So I'm thinking that mm. also has something to do with, you know, how he's able to afford this kind of lifestyle because, you know, he's probably able to make gold for himself or something. Yeah, yeah. He mentions that and, you know, he's been around, like you said, that he, men he makes mention earlier on that he's lived for, like, a long time. So you have to assume that in that time, he's you know, like accumulated a vast amount of wealth. Plus, he's getting rent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. he's, getting, he's getting rent, There's which is a nice, which to me is a nice touch mm -hmm. in that they didn't have to say that, but uh, she picks up an envelope. She's in the apartment. She picks up an envelope and she looks, she said, oh, wait a minute, this is my rent check. <laughs> yeah. said, what are you doing with it? And he just says, he just shrugs his shoulder. And she said, oh, shit. She said, oh, you're the landlord and everything mm -hmm. like that. It's a nice little touch that even though he is this sorcerer with infinite power and everything like that, and he knows alchemy and could probably turn lead into gold, he still collects the rent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, like, personally, what I would do is I would just, um, yeah, I just convert that whole building for my own place then. Well, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but again, you go back to the thing about this being a grounded movie. He's not like Doctor Strange who wants to live in isolation. Mm -hmm. He wants to live around other people. Yeah. Even though he's not even though he's not that sociable because 
again, the old lady says something like, well, I invited him to join the tennis association and he didn't want to do it and everything like that. But I think he just likes the proximity of being close to other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, I, it's also interesting that he doesn't shy away from, he doesn't try to hide the magic stuff. Nah. I thought that was, that was kind of interesting touch. Like even when he's being questioned by um, Gaudio, he doesn't, he never tries to hide any of it, right? He's just like very open with it. Yeah, and I and I love how he just you know because they got the handcuffs on him. I like how he just so you know matter of factly he just takes them off and hands them to Samantha. Mm. Like you know you know, <clears throat> I mean yeah, well I could have got out this shit anytime, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then he puts them back on after mm. he finishes you know talking to her and he's telling her the uh, you know his whole history and how him and Cabal are destined to fight. And after they finish with all that, he says, okay, well, listen, I need, you go, I need you to go get my amulet because I really need that because if I don't have that, I'm vulnerable and he could kill me. And while he's saying that, he's putting back on the handcuffs like, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And um, he doesn't make a the, big the man, like that was, I think that was probably the biggest thing that came from when this was still a Doctor Strange movie is the amulet because that was very much like um, the Eye of Agamotto. Yeah, and he's even got like an orb mm-hmm. in that box because like he opens up the box when he goes to talk to the monitor, who has never really explained who or what the monitor is. All we see is a pair of floating eyes in space. Right. Yeah. But apparently this is the being that has charged him with protecting Earth. Right. It's basically the ancient one. Yeah. We just never see him. Yeah. Right. Um, which I thought was uh was kind of an interesting touch to give um take this character who was supposed to be in a Marvel movie and give him the name of a DC villain instead. Yeah. Yeah. When I, Oh, wait a minute. Monitor. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe that was part of why I got the Dr. Fate vibe when, um, when that happened. No, uh, I mean, you know, now that you mention it. Yeah. I mean, there is, it does, it does have that kind of, you know, feel, to, especially when he goes out. I like that. Um, floating prison he's got out in outer mm. space someplace and he he goes out there and he visits the guy that he's got there mm-hmm. you know the blind guy he restores his sight right yeah, yeah. New eyes yeah because he's got all these demons in there locked up and everything like that presumably all the demons over all these years and he did have cabal locked up on this mm-hmm. floating island but he escaped and got to earth which right. is where all this shit starts <laughs> Yeah, the the one survivor. He's the one who basically is the guy who tells him, "Look, oh, he went that way." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where'd he go? Well, he went that way. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, by the way, thanks for the new eyes. Huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was also getting um, kind of a Highlander vibe when um, him and Cabal are talking in the apartment, especially when Cabal talks about the um, you know you've been around waiting for like 150 years. And, um, but yeah, it felt that it, it felt very much like kind of the relationship. A lot of, a lot of what he does, it feels a lot like, you know, Christopher Lambert and Highlander. Cause you know, just like, you know, Lambert was played kind of a, a recluse type character, but he had amassed all this money. He had this really nice place. Um, he was kind of like this, you know, quirky, mysterious guy that this, uh, this woman takes an interest in. So there was a very, there was a lot of Highlander vibes I felt. Hmm. You know, not, you know what, now that you mentioned, now that you bring it up and yeah, he, uh, cause we see this one point where Mordred, he's actually giving a lecture mm-hmm. much like wasn't there a scene in the, in the first Highlander with Christopher Lambert, he was giving a lecture. Oh yeah. Clancy oh, Brown gave tons of lectures. Like he just, he just ate everything. He just ate all that scenery. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So yeah, now that you mention it, I can definitely see the Highlander vibe in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty good. I like I said, I was pleasantly surprised when I saw this because I saw Jeffrey Combs. I saw and okay, also well, well, also just like in Highlander, the 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 woman in, in Highlander, she was also a cop or like connected to the police department. She was a forensic scientist. Right. Movie. Yeah. So yeah, there's there they they seem to model a, like you know forget Doctor Strange. In some ways, this seems more like a remake of Highlander. <laughs> it's more like Highlander, right? Yeah, <laughs> I know. Now that we're going over it, uh, okay, forget the Doctor Strange influence. <laughs> this is all Highlander. Yeah. Okay. Um. Oh, you know what else kind of struck out to me is at the beginning. Was it just me, or did the music at the opening sound a lot like the music at the opening of Batman Returns? It did. It was a very. It, it was. Uh, not, uh, let me put it this way: it was not appropriate for. That's not the music I would associate with a sorcerer. Right. You know, this was like da 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 da, and you know, I said, "Wait a minute, calm down." Yeah, you yeah. Know, because this isn't that type of. First of all, this is a pretty low-key movie mm-hmm. from start to finish. We're not talking about a high-octane action movie here, folks. So no, no. Don't get your hopes up. It, it actually is pretty low-key through the whole thing. Jeffrey Combs never raises his voice above, like, a normal speaking tone, I think. No matter what happens, he's right. like, he just, like, maintains this chill through the whole movie. Well, same thing with... Uh... Um, Brian Thompson as as Cabal, like he doesn't really, even though we, even with all his speechifying, he doesn't raise it much to like that kind of you know super villainy type level a whole lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, supposedly it's the fate of the human race is at stake, and these guys are talking like they discussing a recipe for stuffed cabbage. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's on that level. They just never really like get really worked up about. Mm-hmm you know, the stakes that they're fighting for. Right. So, which uh, isn't to say, which isn't to say that it's a bad performance. Jeffrey Combs, I actually like the fact that he is kind of low key. This is a guy who's been around for hundreds of years. So very little can stress him out at this point. Yeah, it, wor- it works. It works pretty well for, um, for this, uh, for this movie. Yeah, and and you know, and it makes sense because you know he is like you said he's been around for all this time, so obviously it's kind of like a seen it all, done it all type of thing. Yeah, yeah, you know, nothing. The only time he gets kind of upset is when he's accidentally when he well not accidentally, but he's arrested for murder, mm-hmm. and even then he's upset because if he's not out there, he knows more murders are going to happen. Right, and he's pissed at the cop who is an enjoyable character because every movie needs a lovable asshole. Mm-hmm. And that's what, uh, you know, this cop. Yeah, he's uh, uh, Jay Akavone, who's also been in a lot of different stuff. He was apparently, um, he was a regular on uh, Beauty and the Beast, which with uh, Ron Perlman and Linda Hamilton. Um, oh, okay. He was in, um, he played uh, the, the DA, Joe Maxwell, over all three seasons. Okay. And he's also been in a, few different other things like he was in um he was in a few episodes of the x-files i think um yeah just like playing minor character two different characters in that um he's apparently in like the dukes of hazard um tv movie or something like that in 2000 um he was on the pretender he was on sliders uh so yeah he's been in a bunch of things like here and there 
Well, he's a lot of fun here because <clears throat> he's your typical bonehead cop. Mm-hmm. You know, he gets everything wrong. He arrests the wrong guy. He's gonna, he, he has no clue as to what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, don't tell him nothing about magic because he doesn't know. About, I mean, the first scene that we see him in, he's talking to Samantha and he very clumsily, you know, like hits on her, mm-hmm. you know, which of course she sees through, I mean, you know, like right away. Right. So, you know, but he he's the guy that provides a lot of the levity, you know, here because we enjoy seeing him bumble around, at least until we get the other guy. I don't ever think they gave him a name is one of Cabal's disciples. He has two of them. He has a girl who he sacrifices, but he has this other joker. Oh, yeah. Um, Adrian. (laughs) Who's just like, no matter what, he's down with it. Yeah, yeah. The he says, "Yeah, don't worry about it, man. I got you. I got you." And um, yeah, he was not. He, he felt really out of place in this movie. Like he just felt like his bumbling felt like it belonged in um, in a more. Um, I'm trying to think what do I, what do I want to say? Like it, it doesn't feel like it fits this tone. Yeah, and, and and while usually, you know what, I don't have a problem with, uh, you know, language, mm-hmm. it doesn't fit the tone of this movie at all. Right. When this guy just jumped, and he's just like dropping F-bombs, you know, left and right for whatever reason, I have no idea, you know, just to be doing, I, I guess he was trying to show how tough and badass his character was, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, I felt that this movie didn't need it. Yeah. You know? Same thing. Um, but, uh, but you know, overall, I thought it was, it's not a bad movie, um, it, especially when you consider what other Marvel movies were coming out around this time, because this was the era when we got, like, the, the 1990s Captain America, which was also direct-to-video, and, um, you know, Roger Corman's Fantastic Four, which was never completely released, and, um, and all these other kind of, like, really low-budget Marvel films that were being cranked out at the time because Marvel didn't really know how to how to manage their brands back then. Well, yeah, this was around the time uh, that they were, which is why they had such a hard time getting back all of their, you know, copyrights and everything like that because yeah. they were, like, scattered pretty much all over the place. It was all different type, you know, different, which is why um, the, uh, the common myth that people like to repeat ad infinitum is that the reason why they had Herbie instead of uh, the human torch in the fantastic four cartoon was that the producers of that cartoon were scared that kids were going to light themselves on fire trying to, you know, like imitate the human torch. Such was not the case. The human torch was the option for him was licensed out to a movie company who wanted to do a human torch movie. Right. Right. And that's why, and the people that did this particular Fantastic Four animated uh, series couldn't get the rights to the Human Torch back. Mm-hmm. So they created her. That's why they had Herbie. You exactly, know? yeah. And um, what ended up being introduced in the comics afterwards as well. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. They brought Herbie into the comics, which was okay with me. I like, listen, I liked Herbie. Yeah, a I never had a problem with him. Yeah, I had no problem with Herbie. And, you know, it, it was kind of a nice little thing to have him in there in the comics. It was a nice little, um, I mean, I never watched, I never really watched that cartoon. So I don't, cause that was way before my time, but, but I, but, um, but I did, I did, I do still kind of like chuckle when I see his appearances in the comics. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I watch it, you know, I didn't watch it regularly, but mm. 
like if I was flipping through the channels and it was on, I wouldn't turn it off. Right. Right. Huh. Okay. But anyway, um, yeah, get, getting back to what we say, yeah. So Marvel at this time like had the characters was scattered all over the place. It right. was, you know, everybody had a different, you know, the Marvel universe was broken up and it was scattered to the four winds in Hollywood, which is why you had all these different studios doing different Marvel movies. Well, it's funny because I uh, I may have told the story before, but um, back in the early 2000s, me and my and my best friend at the time, you know, we were talking about um, different uh, different Marvel movies that were coming out because this is like the era of like X-Men and Spider-Man were coming out and all these other properties have been licensed to different studios. And I asked him one day, I'm like, do you ever think, do you think we'll ever see an Avengers movie? And he said, no, it's impossible. Right. Because the idea was because all these characters were owned by different studios. So we thought right. it would never be possible to have an Avengers movie. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, fast forward 20 years later and we've got, you know, the Avengers is like the biggest thing in Hollywood right now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, listen, I never thought we would see it either, really. Mm -hmm. If you had asked me, I would have said, nah, they'll, ne they'll never make an Avengers movie. Well, you, you, still owe, you still owe people your, your retirement savings for all the all the people you bet that there would never be a Black Panther movie. Oh, I'm still sending out checks <laughs> behind that. Uh, yeah, 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 I'm still like, waiting for mine, by the way. Yeah, well, listen, <laughs> I just got to the bees, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> From the time Black Panther came out till now, <laughs> that was the A's. I'm just through the B's now. So, oh man, yeah, I devote. Yeah, every Saturday I devote three hours just writing out, writing and mailing out checks. You know, the people I owe money to. So, all right. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else we want to mention about uh, Doctor Mordred? Well, to be honest, there is not a lot to mention because, like I said, the movie's only seventy four minutes long. That, right. Yeah, you know. When I saw it, I said, wait a minute, this has got to be something. And, and as a matter of fact, what I did was that I said, okay, well, let me, before I start watching this, let me go to Amazon. And I went to Amazon to see what the running time of their version was, mm -hmm. you know, because I thought, well, maybe this is a truncated version that's been edited. So if it was longer, I was just going to go ahead. I was just going to pay $3 and rent it. But nope, the one that they got on Amazon is the same thing, 74 minutes. So, mm -hmm. and then I did a little bit of research and I found out that, yeah, this movie is only 74 minutes. So I said, oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, and that's another thing that lends to the feeling of this just being a pilot for a TV series, mm -hmm. the extraordinarily short running time. But yeah, yeah. We know what's interesting too is um, his, uh, like, I was just looking up the writer, uh, C. Courtney Joyner, who uh, it is a man, it turns out. Um, Turns out he's mostly like a Western novelist. Really? Yeah, he's got like a ton of, um, he wrote, like, what is this? Like, uh, one, or he was a contributor to a few Western anthologies. He wrote um, uh, two novels, looked like they were in a, a shotgun series, um, a bunch of short stories. He even wrote like a, a few graphic novels. Um, the Saga of Billy the Kid was one. And then he wrote, um, wrote a story in um, uh, a, a weird Western anthology, it looks like. Um, and in addition, he had done, you know, some, some, you know, B movie acting, some like, you know, kind of like, you know, uncredited type or like background type characters, extra type things. And then, um, wrote a lot of scripts for, um, for full moon, it looks like. Well, it just goes to show you one thing that I've always maintained that if you're a talented writer, you can write anything. Yeah. Cause I would have never guessed 
that it was a, a guy that wrote a Western, you know, wrote this thing. Because it does feel a lot like somebody who is familiar with superheroes and the concept of, you know, superheroes, you know, that's who wrote this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, this is this wasn't written by somebody that, you know, felt like they had to, uh, who, um, let me see, what's the word I'm looking for? Who was embarrassed by writing this material. Right. This was written by somebody who said, well, you know what, I'm going to write a story. Mm -hmm. And that's what he did. Because, I mean, this is a good story. Yeah, it's yeah. It's a very good story. Well, you know, I was, um, I was nervous about this because I had the same feeling going into it that I had going into the original Doctor Strange that we talked about before. And that uh -huh. I thought it would be like the other early 90s types uh, productions or like with Doctor Strange, like the, the 70s type productions back when people did not take this stuff seriously. So I was pleasantly surprised in both cases when it turns out, no, they actually, the writers and the directors, they did actually take this stuff seriously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the acting, I had no problem with the acting, except, like we said, that one guy who like, who was like kind of... Right, yeah, ...goes yeah. a little bit overboard, to say the mm -hmm. least. But, uh, but for the most part, the acting in this is very well. The production values, especially, I mean, the apartment. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, my God, that apartment is... Wow, I would love to live in that apartment. Yeah, oh yeah, me too. Dr. Mordred lives in, yeah. He's got that cute little raven, Edgar Allen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was kind of cute, you know. Um, I did, it does kind of feel like the, um, but like we said, it does, I think the, the not really a failing, but just like a, an observation is that the production values and all that, it does feel like something that was supposed to be for the pilot of like a, a syndicated, Saturday afternoon TV show. Yeah, because it sets it up with the cutesy neighbors, mm -hmm. you know, the old guy with the dog, the old woman bickering back and forth. Right, We've yeah. got the cop who, you know, says, well, yeah, well, I'm going to get Dr. Moore. I'm going to get him. You know mm -hmm. I'm going to get yeah, him. Yeah. Set him up as kind of like an antagonist, you know, kind of thing. Right. There's yeah. the girl, because Dr. Mulder, he tells her at the end, he said, well, you know what, wherever they send me, I'm going to need help. And she right. says, okay, well, you got it. So, Okay, well, we got these two going off and battling various, you know, mystical menaces. So, yeah, it's a very, uh, this is the sort of thing that I like to call a TV pilot on steroids. Where, this is something I could easily have seen being with, like, if they'd made a TV show about this. It could have easily been, like, a, a Saturday afternoon hour block with, like, Poltergeist the Legacy. Oh, I'd have watched it every day. Oh, yeah, definitely. If this was a TV series, yeah, I'd have watched it every Saturday. Mm -hmm. No problem. I'd have, matter of fact, I, matter of fact, I would have looked forward to watching this. Yeah, yeah. It's that good. It's one of those, it's one of those things where it, it's not like one of the big primetime things, but it's one of those like syndicated shows that you, you just can't stop watching. Yeah, and, and I mean, you know, like during the big syndication boom, that's usually what I was doing anyway on Saturday afternoon. If I wasn't, I was sitting in front of my TV watching all the, all of these half-hour syndicated mm. shows that they had. Yeah. And yeah, I could easily see this as being, you know, as you say, Saturday afternoon. This would have mm. been a great Saturday afternoon uh, show, you know, to watch. Well, so. I remember, I mean, Poltergeist Legacy, I'd only seen a few episodes of it, uh, but I remember really liking it. You know what I really like? I don't know if a lot of people remember this, but there was a Friday the 13th TV show. Yeah. There were, they did, um, it was, wasn't it an anthology show or something? No, this was the one where they were looking for the curse. It had nothing to do with Jason at all. Oh, okay, okay. The, right, the, like, so the, the anthology was the, 
the Nightmare on Elm Street one, Freddy's Nightmares. Right, Freddy's Nightmares. That's what yeah. you're thinking of. Yeah, that was the anthology one. Right. The Friday the 13th, it was a guy with his two young assistants and he oh, ran a right, curio yeah. shop. And yeah. they was running around getting the cursed objects back to put them back in the show. It had nothing, it had absolutely nothing to do with the movie at all. The only connection it had was that occasionally they would show you a shot of Jason's mask was in the mm. shop. Yeah. And it's yeah. funny because the it was originally supposed to be titled The 13th Hour, but the producer was like, no, we got to gotta get the Friday the 13th name on it to get in audiences. Which for me, if I was a, you know, if I was a Friday the 13th fan, and I turned in to watch this series, I'd have been pissed off and I never would have watched it anymore. Well, you know what? I think that that's what happened. It, it turned off a lot of fans of the movies mm -hmm. who wanted, of course, they expected to see, I mean, you know, Jason and stuff like that. But for people like me who didn't particularly care for the movie anyway, yeah. I actually, I liked the TV show. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was a strange thing. Yeah, it was, it was made... <laughs> It had the name of one of the most popular horror movie franchises of all time, but it was not made for fans of the franchise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and that was actually both this and um, Poltergeist the Legacy. Well, this, and this was on back in like 87 to 1990, it says here. But it was a, it was a huge influence on um, like the, the later supernatural TV shows that come out, like Buffy and Angel and X-Files, uh, Warehouse 13, like a bunch of stuff like that. Oh, Okay. So, like, I mean, that it did kind of, like, create the mold for those things. Mm. And uh, and David Cronenberg even directed an episode of it, it looks like. Of what? Of uh, Friday the 13th, the series. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So, um, cool. I'm curious about things. That, I'm going to have to see if I can track this down. Listen, nowadays, nothing is lost. I'm sure with a little mm. bit of research, you'll be able to find this. Like, you might find it on the damn Tubi. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, this is probably, um, well, I mean, it looks like they got the whole thing on sale on Amazon for like 20 bucks. Really? Yeah. Um, DVD, so not the not the digital stuff, but yeah, it looks oh. like they got it up on there for like 20 bucks. Oh, okay. And that's that's pretty good for all three seasons, so. Yeah, for all three seasons, yeah, that's, listen, that's not bad at all. Mm -hmm. uh, all right, I think we're kind of like, um, moving off the topic anyway we kind of stopped talking about dr mordred but um like you said there's not really a whole lot more to talk about because it was so short but it is you know it, it's free to watch it's only it's, it'll it only take up about an hour a little more than an hour of your time and all you got to do is you download the 2b app and you can watch it yourself for free so it's it there's there's really no risk to this yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, you you guys have been listening to us talk about, you know, Doctor Strange in both the big budget version and, you know, the TV version. And I recommend this, you know, first of all, because of the connection with Doctor Strange that it started off as a Doctor Strange project. And second of all, it stands on its own. Dr. Mordred is a character that stands on his own. And this mm -hmm. is a movie that stands on its own. Right. This, the best recommendation that I can give is that when I finished watching this, I wish there would, there had been more Dr. Mordred movies or a TV series. Mm -hmm. That's the best recommendation that I can give. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, last one was your pick and now it's back to me and I actually did not come prepared this time. So I'm looking through my uh -oh. list. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> I'm not the only one. No, you're not the only one. Um, 
I, I I don't know whatever it was. I was just uh, kind of scattered this week because I forgot to um, I forgot to even create the, the Zoom link until like twenty minutes before the ep- we were supposed to start recording. I know. Well, you know what? I understand because it's been that kind. Of, you know what? Like the last couple of weeks with everything that's been going on, is it any wonder that we're all like kind of discombobulated? Oh no, not at all. Because um, I actually, because you know, I had to ask my wife two or three times. I said, "Today is Wednesday, right?" She <laughs> said, yeah. She said, "What's wrong with you?" I said, "I don't know. It's just like I'm not, you know, sure." And then you know, like we used to have a set schedule where it was certain things that we did, like on certain days. Mm. But of course, with the coronavirus, we don't go out like we used to to do, you know, those things that we used to do, you know. So right. yeah, sometimes I do lose track of days. I mean, yeah. I, Honestly, I do lose track of days. Uh, okay, I got one here. All right, so because of all the Ron Perlman stuff, I thought we might as well do a Ron Perlman movie, show him a little bit of support. So, hey, um, fair enough. So, yeah, so next week, I think we should talk about Ron Perlman's big superhero role, the role which a lot of people say he was pretty much bored to play, and that's Hellboy. Ah, Hellboy. Yeah, Hellboy. I actually saw that movie... I went to a sneak preview. That's where I met Tom DJ. Oh, really? We, we, we met, and guess who I sat next to? Rob Roman? No. <laughs> F. Paul Wilson. That name sounds really familiar, I'm, but I'm blanking. He's a writer. Look it up. Some okay. of the people out there now go, what? Yeah. Yeah, Tom introduced me to him. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Yeah, but that was... that. That movie was where I, I, you know, me and Tom met in person for the first time. But oh, okay. uh, yeah, Hellboy. Yeah. And matter of fact, I'm glad, you know what? It's been so long since I've seen that movie. It, it'll probably feel brand new. Well, it's one of those movies that's consistently entertaining. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have no doubt. And I, mean, I, I remember I didn't even, I had never read a Hellboy comic before I saw that movie. And I, and I came out of it loving it. In fact, when I actually did end up reading the Hellboy comic, I was actually a little bit disappointed because it wasn't as good as the movie. You and me both. I'm glad you said that because, yeah, when I saw it, I knew nothing about the character. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about it. All I knew was that, well, this was a free movie. <laughs> I was yeah. going to go, so it was a free movie. I wouldn't see it. When I came out of it, I said, holy shit. And, yeah, and I went and I, and, yeah, I was kind of disappointed because I loved the movie so much mm-hmm. and the movie was so entertaining. And, you know, the comic book, I was like, well, this isn't like the movie. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. And I think I think that might be, it might have just been like, because the, the, that was the early the early stuff I read, so maybe he had to grow into it. Yeah. Uh, because I, I heard from Hellboy fans who have read like the complete series that the movie was a perfect adaptation, so. Yeah, which is why, which is what I think led to the huge success of the movie, because, you know, I mean, I really can't think of anybody that I know that doesn't like Hellboy. Even people don't read comic books and stuff like oh, that. Oh, yeah. I know seeing Hellboy, they love it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And a large part of that I has got to do with the performance of Ron Perlman. Oh, yeah. He's a, like, I I had known, I never, I, I didn't know Ron Perlman by name. I want to say that. Um, like, But I had memories of watching Beauty and the Beast when I was a kid. So I, I remembered him from that. And so, but I, I didn't know who, or didn't really know who he was at the time. And then after watching that movie, like, you know, like pretty much everybody else who understands that Ron Perlman's a national treasure, I fell in love with the guy. Oh, yeah. He's the man. I love mm-hmm. Ron Perlman. 
I love okay. Uh, so yeah, so we're gonna do Hellboy. Yeah, so next week we'll do Hellboy. We'll um, we'll talk about more about how amazing Ron Perlman is, so you guys can hear us talk about that. And um, and yeah, it's gonna be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Okay then. All right, uh, that does it for us today. Um, head on over to our our group, Superhero Cinephiles. Uh, join the conversation. Uh, I don't think I mentioned this on this show, but the the two true you you talked about Tom DJ a few times here, and the he does a podcast the two true freaks podcast man that's kind of a tongue twister um, yeah and he's been doing uh this uh, this thing where he gets a bunch of different podcasters to come on and do uh a comics draft so we're like each each round we had we were picking um a different character to be on our superhero team then we pick like the villain and the creative team and all that so um we the first one this is the first one he's doing and it's the the justice league so i've been contributing to to that as well so oh, you you've been doing there. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been contributing to that. So oh, you can, okay, cool. If you go again, over to their website, you can find out about that. Again, I'm not doing it because as we were talking, as we were talking earlier, folks, you know, this is stuff that you don't hear. I am cursedly lazy. So <laughs> oh, yeah, and I'm thinking like he, he they're talking about doing a doing a second season and doing another one. I think I'm gonna have to bow out of that just because um it's it, it, it's these short segments, but it is it's it's tough to find time to even do something short these days. Yeah, tell me about it. Yeah, so I got I, I got a uh, Tommy Hancock sending me messages right now asking when I'm gonna turn in the next um, uh, pro se project that I gotta that I gotta finish formatting for him. Oh, okay. It's so, not my book, is it? No, it's not your book. If it was your book, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be lazy on it. Oh, because <laughs> <laughs> I know you're accountable. Because I'm accountable to you. You know, you you know, you know more where I live. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, hey, go right. <laughs> no, like but was, I know I. No, but he sent me a cover a while back, and he said, "Oh well, how do you like this cover?" I said, "Oh, I said, oh, pretty good." I said, "Well, who's going to do the logo?" And I told him, "I said, well, if Perry's not doing nothing, I said, ask him to do the logo. Mm -hmm. If he's not doing anything, that's for Diamondback." Oh yeah, 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 yeah. We talked about that a while back. So oh, okay. whenever, whenever he gets around to doing that, I'm going to be doing that that cover. So. Okay, cool. Uh, but you know, with you know the you know how things get delayed a lot with. Uh, yes, there, so. I do. Okay, uh, so that does it for us. Head on over to Superhero Cinephiles. Join the Facebook group. Um, join in the discussions. I actually just posted something. Uh, did you see what I posted there? That this guy had done. Um, these like unified cover arts for all of the the infinity saga mcu movies no no i haven't seen that yet oh you well, remember i told you i was having problems with my computer earlier oh, right right so yeah, yeah. yeah so i've just got it all back online you know before we about an hour before me and you started so mm -hmm. i haven't seen anything yet but i'm gonna go take a look at it right now oh yeah I'm it's really it's um he did like all these covers they're all basically like very similar to the Infinity War poster, but each one is specific to each of the MCU movies, and it's it's amazing. Like you, you this guy put a lot of work into this. Oh, okay, good. I'm looking for. Okay, I'm going. Like I said, when we're done here, I want to go right over and take a look at it. Okay, all right. So that does it for us. Thanks so much for listening. Come back next week, and we'll be talking about Hellboy. Okay. Good night. God bless. And remember, the coronavirus is still out there. So wash your hands. Use your hand sanitizer. Wear your mask, be safe, be careful, and above all, be smart. Absolutely. Very good. Good night. Bye God bless. Thanks for listening to the Superhero Cinephiles podcast. 
If you have any questions or comments about this or any other episode, or if you have a superhero movie or TV show you'd like us to cover in a future episode, you can email us at superherocinephiles at gmail.com, or you can also visit us on the web at superherocinephiles.com. If you like what you hear, leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Each review helps us reach more potential listeners. You can also support the show by renting or purchasing the movies discussed or by picking up our books, all of which can be accessed through the website, as well as find links to our social media presences. The theme music for this show is a shortened version of Superhero Showdown, a royalty-free piece of music courtesy of Fezleonstudios.com. 